Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine is quite well known, even in in the secular world, outside of Christianity. It shows up in TV shows or in movies or comedic routines, or maybe you've seen an internet post or two that makes reference to this miracle. And sometimes those references can almost border on being irreverent, a little bit disrespectful. But even at the very least, when it's just good-natured fun, it leaves a little bit to be desired in the big picture of the miracle. It doesn't tell the whole story. In those instances, it's really nothing more than a literary or historical, historical reference. It's something to build a joke off of. It'd be the same as referencing anything from Shakespeare or something that happened last week. And so these hollow and kind of empty references to Jesus' miracle don't tell us everything about what Jesus wants us to know and learn from this miracle. And just what is it that Jesus wants us to learn from this miracle? Well, he wants us to see that he provides help for us when we're lacking. And he does it at exactly the right time. And he does it in a way that's bigger than we ever expect. So let's take a look at this familiar story once again and examine those details that tell us just who Jesus is and what he wants us to learn from this account. We read from John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. So we hear that a wedding took place and Jesus was there and his disciples were there with him. Right away, what a pleasant reminder we have that our Savior, our God, came to this earth to dwell with us. We're weeks away from celebrating Christmas and we all know that there in the manger, that little baby, Jesus, was God who came to us and made himself flesh. But we see it too in his adult ministry. 
We see it here in the way that he interacts with the humans that were living with him. You see, Jesus loves us not in just some abstract and high way that we can't relate to, that we can't really understand, but he shows his love even in the same ways that we show our love. He shows up at the big events of life. He, he joins in the celebrations that we join in. He was there at this wedding as an invited guest. And so already, just one sentence in, we see the love of Christ for us on display. We see the significance of him coming to this earth in, in human form and joining with us in this life. But there was going to be something much bigger that was happening. Because as John tells us, this was the first of the signs that Jesus did through which he revealed his glory. Jesus' divine nature was also going to make an appearance at this wedding. And so we, we go on and we look and we see how this all began. And we see they ran out of wine and Jesus' mother, Mary, comes up to him with her request. Only it wasn't really a request, was it? She says, they have no more wine. Simply, she makes a statement to Jesus. Here's the problem. They have no more wine. And now Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a mother who knew quite a bit. And here's what I mean. She knew quite a bit about who her son Jesus was. Remember, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her she would bear this child and told her that this child would be a son of the Most High. His reign would last forever. Right away, she had this divine knowledge of who her Savior was. And add on top of that, the encounters with the shepherds and the magi. And then in the temple, there was Simeon and Anna. And then some years later, there was that incident in the temple at, when the boy Jesus was, was left behind in his father's house doing his father's work. Add all of that together, and there were certainly a lot of things that Mary, as the Bible says, had treasured up in her heart. So she knew a lot about who Jesus was. She knew he was her Lord and her Savior. And so it's with all of this that Mary comes to Jesus and simply tells him what the situation is, tells him what her problem is. She doesn't beg, she doesn't bargain, she trusts him to do whatever is best and to do it at the right time. And how does Jesus respond? He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from how Jesus answers. And first off, you might be thinking right away, you might be thinking, yeah, I can learn a lot from what Jesus says. It sounds like he's being a jerk to his mother. But of course, we wouldn't say that about Jesus, the one who we say is our perfect and holy Savior. And so it creates this problem in our minds. How can Jesus say something that sounds so harsh, so dismissive, when I know everything else that I know about Jesus? How do these two things come together? Well, first of all, we need to know a little bit about the language. When Jesus says, woman, it could sound harsh in our English language when we say, woman. 
Like he's calling her out. Like, like he's saying to his mother, woman, what do you, get out of here. Just woman, don't bother me. But it's actually quite a common way to address a woman. And Jesus did it another time where the situation could have only taken the tenderest of, of meanings. When Jesus was on the cross and the disciple John was there and Mary, his mother, was there, And Jesus commended Mary, his mother, to the care of the disciple John. He said, woman, here is your son. So Jesus means nothing harsh by saying woman when he addresses his mother. And then when Jesus says, why do you involve me? He's really saying more, "What, what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with the reason that I am here on earth? What does it have to do with God's plan? God's plan of salvation that's being carried out right before your very eyes, even at this moment here at this wedding at Cana. Jesus' response was a test of faith. It was a reminder to Mary and to all of us who hear about this account to remember what Jesus' purpose was, to remember why he came to this earth. He came to this earth to be our Savior. He came to this earth to be the atoning sacrifice for sins, to live, to die, and to rise again. And so he says, my hour has not yet come, pointing to that hour when he would die on the cross his greatest hour, where his goal and purpose would be accomplished. And in those words, it is finished, he would declare his work to be done. So these aren't harsh words. These are loving words. Words meant to build up faith. Words meant to focus us on what is important. It wasn't that Jesus didn't feel like he should get involved because he was just a guest. It wasn't that Jesus was too tired or too busy to get involved with it and he just wanted to get his mother out of the way and and stop bothering him. And it wasn't because he didn't care about the wedding. But he first wanted to make sure that Mary and all those who are here knew why they should trust in Jesus. It's not just a matter of trusting in Jesus because we know he has great power and he can do whatever he wants. It's a matter of trusting in Jesus because we know he's the Savior, the Savior who provides our greatest need. And so if he can provide our greatest need, will we not then know he can provide all these other things? Now, that's what Jesus wanted to get at with his answer, but doesn't it still kind of test you when you hear it now? Doesn't it make you a little bit impatient or a little frustrated even reading through the account as it's here in the Bible? It would have been pretty nice if Jesus would have just said, okay, yeah, I'll take care of the wine. Easy. None of this uh, sidetracking to tell me the big story, lecture on the, the lesson. But that's what Jesus does. And maybe it makes us a little impatient because we'd like to have Jesus be that Jesus who just turns water into wine whenever we want. Right? Wouldn't it be nice to just have 
the Jesus app on your phone, and whenever a problem uh, comes up, you just pull it out, you press a couple buttons, Jesus is there, you tell him what's wrong, Jesus hears the problem, fixes it. But there's a reason why he tells us that his hour has not yet come. Sure, it'd be nice to have things happen the way we think they should, and I've questioned it myself sometimes, and I've heard other people, things like, why doesn't God just stop wars or this violence or other troubles before it happens? I know he has the power to do it. Wouldn't it just be easier if he took care of it beforehand? Or he could save us all a bunch of trouble and just take us to heaven as soon as we hear his word and save us from any trouble of living in the world. Or maybe it's a little more personal. Why do I have to go to the doctor and take these medicines and rest to get over my sickness when God could just do it so much more easily? Why do I have to go through this ordeal? Why do I have to start at an entry-level position at my job? Even though I'm much more qualified, even though I have skills, couldn't God uh, use his power to, to guide my employer and my friends and those around me to see my skills, to see my talents and make use of them? There's a lot of easy ways that we could get through life, or so it seems. And Jesus cares about our well-being, but first of all, most of all, he cares about our spiritual well-being. The biggest thing that he wants to take care of is the spiritual well-being. And there's a lesson in this, and Jesus says to us, If God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God cares about the little things. He cares about the daily things, the weekly struggles, but he's not here just to get you through the week. He's here to get you to a bigger goal. You may have experienced this if you've ever gone hiking up into the mountains, or even maybe if you've just driven along a hilly road. You get up to the top of of a ridge or a crest, and you, you see another one, and you think that one, that ridge, is the last one. And when I get up there, it's going to be the destination, and I'm going I'm to see where I want to go. Maybe it's, it's a lake or a big open meadow, and you'll see the mountain peaks. And you get up to that ridge, and there's another ridge. And you're thinking, well, it can't be much farther. Uh, it's got to be the next ridge. I'm going to get there at the next ridge. And it's not the one, again. Now imagine you're going along with a guide, someone who's experienced, someone who's taken this trail, taken this way numbers of times, and and he knows exactly where the top is, and he knows every turn and every corner, every tree and every stump. And as you walk along with him, you think that same thought. You think, this one is it. We've got to be finally there. But it's not. But that guide knows where the top is. 
and he leads you on. And if you trust in that guide, that guide is going to get you there. And he's going to get you there at exactly the time that he knows you get there and exactly the right time before the sun sets, before the day is over. You'll get to where you need to go. I think you see what I'm trying to say here. It seems like we're just going over endless hills over and over that aren't getting us anywhere. But we have a guide who's looking out for us as we walk along, and he wants to make sure that we get to that final ridge, our final goal and destination. Jesus cares about our everyday needs. He showed that at Cana. He showed that because he provided them with the wine. But he also wants to make sure we have the bigger picture in mind because when we're lacking, Jesus provides us with what we need. He provides us with the help, but he provides it in so much of a bigger way than we ever expect. You see, when we are lacking something, we we want God to fill in. But the thing we lacked most of all, we didn't realize we even lacked it. We didn't realize we were without it. And what I'm talking about is a relationship with God, a righteousness before God. And without that righteousness, it didn't matter how much wine we had or didn't have, it didn't matter how much wealth or health or whatever it might be that we would have or lack, because none of that was going to get us to heaven. We could have as much or as little of those things as we want, but we were still on our path to hell. And so that's where Jesus comes in in a bigger way than we would ever ask for. And he came to be our substitute, came as a man, came as God to be the perfect sacrifice and substitute for us, lived, died on the cross, and rose to conquer death. Jesus came to help us in a bigger way than we would ever expect. And think about it. What happened there in Cana, the problem was, was fairly trivial, right? They run out of wine and the party has to end a little bit sooner. Sure, it was a bigger deal in that culture to have a little bit of shame, but really, was, he, was the bridegroom going to lose friends? Was anybody going to get injured? Was the body going to get harmed by not having a little more wine, by going home a little earlier? And chances are even a few weeks or months later, most wouldn't even remember that they had ever run out of wine. And yet, Jesus provided when there was a lack. Jesus provided in the time of need. And as he did it, he also had the bigger picture in mind. Because in showing his divine power, his glory, as John says, in this sign, he was declaring himself to be the Messiah. And that's no small thing. Because in showing himself to be the Messiah, he was showing himself to be the one in whom we should put our trust for all of our troubles, especially our greatest trouble. And John says, after this sign, that the disciples, they believed in him. They believed in him as the one who was promised to come and to take away 
all of their sins and to establish his reign forever. If Jesus cares about the little things and he cares about the big things so much more, isn't he going to take care of everything in between for us? The answer surely is yes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, O you holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. Those words are from Psalm 34. And maybe they sound a little familiar to you. Maybe you've heard the song that's based on them. It's in that red hymnal that's in the pews in front of you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't help but think of those words when you hear what the head master of this banquet says. He says, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus gives us nothing but the best. Jesus didn't make any cheap box wine here at the wedding. It was the best of the best. It was enough to impress a man who was familiar with parties and wine. And that's how Jesus is with us. He doesn't give us anything less than the best. He wants us to be in heaven with him. We have tasted and we have seen what it's like to live in the shadow of his cross. We're tempted to be satisfied with just a small Jesus who helps us with the daily struggles, but we don't have that. We have a big Jesus. A big Jesus who covers our biggest need. And so he doesn't just take us to be with him at at some wedding in a place where the wine is pretty good. Jesus wants to make sure that he takes us to be with him at the wedding feast of the Lamb. In heaven. Amen.